Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello, and welcome to Call Unto Me Talk Shoe Radio Broadcast. My name is Patricia Gradney, and I am excited that you're here tonight. I have with me my guest, Elder Benita Gilliard from Columbus, Ohio, uh, Minister Sean and Daryl Livingston from Deeper Life Ministry. Tonight, Sean is going to share her testimony with us. We're going to walk through the corridors of her life experience. We'll go very deep into her life. We'll be able to um, hear what the enemy had set, the traps that he had set for her, and be able to uh, allow to allow the testimony of hers to uh, impact our lives as well as it has impacted hers. I know that this broadcast will go in the women's prison, into the men's prison, and in every other entity on social network. So I'm excited tonight to have my guests here tonight, uh, Minister Sean and Daryl Livingston from um, Deeper Life Ministries, as she will be able to tell a little bit more about herself. I have your bio here, uh, Sean, but I know it's not everything on there. So as we go through the interview, definitely walk me through some places in case I skip them, okay? Not a problem. Okay, so Minister Daryl, we're going to take prayer and scripture from you, and then we'll we'll get ready to get started. And then at the end, um, let me say at the end, uh, any hello to everyone in the chat room. Welcome tonight. I'm Chaplain Patricia Gradney, and I'm I'm very very glad that you're here. I see Southwest Florida, Florida, Pennsylvania, Northeast Kentucky, and Texas, and Ohio on the line, and also I'm in Louisiana. So the lines are filling up. If you want to chat, ask a question, you can chat it in the chat room, and we'll unmute the phones for questions, prayer requests, comments, or even words of encouragement. But we want to get through the first part of the uh, interview with with Minister Sean and let her life just bless you. Okay, so is everybody uh, in and comfortable? And uh, we're ready to go. Minister Darrell, we're we're in your hands. Praise Lord. Uh, first, I'd like to give honor to God, who's head of my life. I'd like to give honor to my Bishop Jefferson, Dr. Jefferson, honor to you, Chap, uh, Patricia Granny, and my wife. I'd like to give honor to my wife. And uh, the scripture for tonight would be Revelations 12 and 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, and they love not their, they love not their lives unto death. Mm-hmm. Well, Father God, I just come to you as humbly as we know how with Thanksgiving in our hearts, Lord, asking you to just be, our, be my my wife's mouth, be the mouthpiece for my wife, Father God, as she brings forth her testimony, and be a blessing to every ear that listens. Father God, uh, 
I know that this is going to be a, a, a great thing in her life, Father God, and I know that you are the author of it. Lord, we just ask you to be with us as we come forth to bring bring through this testimony, Father God. I'd like to just thank you for using us in a mighty way. In your son's precious name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you, Mr. Okay, well, let's get started. Let me read a little bit of the bio on what I have here tonight as I uh, get ready. We get ready to hear from Minister Sean Livingston. Um, we've been on the phone for about two or three weeks now with just going back and forward with the um, trying to put the show together. We had a couple of uh, hurt, um, uh, tornadoes here. We couldn't get some things done, but... I kept telling her that in the timing of God, we'll be right on time. So tonight I believe that we're right on time. And I do believe that every ear that should hear this testimony, lives will be blessed, changed, and enhanced, and encouraged to go further and to reach more people's lives for God's glory. Tonight I want to uh, read a little bit about Sean, and then we'll go into the interview. And for those of you that are in the chat room, please, Definitely add your comments and chat with us. I will read them, and then we will open up the lines in a few so that you can make comments, speak to my guests, ask for prayer, or just give her words of encouragement. Do know this, that we do have hackers that come through this line. They come through cursing and using um, very, very harsh statements, but I, I, I did speak to my guests and let them know that if, if for them to even come in, I, I'm okay with that. It's just that if I have to, I would have to mute everybody except the speaker and myself if they do come in. And then um, just know that the enemy sends them here, and I'm trusting God that every time they come in that they'll hear something that will give, bring them to their deliverance. So they do come in. Don't be alarmed by the things that they say because we know the works of Satan. So tonight, Sean B. Livingston um, is going to share with us her life experience of drugs, depression, and alternate lifestyle, sexual abuse, alcoholism, and living on the streets with nothing but the clothes on her back. While looking for love and acceptance, she found herself on a path of destruction until she walked through the doors of the ministry she is now a part of. Um, She was delivered, saved, and now is being used by God to reach countless men and women as the Lord has loved her. So she goes out with the message of love, deliverance, and breakthrough. Sean is now married to a wonderful man, Daryl Livingston. Um, he is her forever love. She doesn't look like what she's been through because of God's amazing grace. Through God's love and forgiveness, Sean will share her testimony with all that will listen as proof that God is loving, kind, and wanting to set them free. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight my guest, Sean B. Livingston. Good evening, Sean. Good evening. How are you? I am I am awesome. I'm awesome. I'm humbled, and then I'm honored that you would take the invitation to come and be a part of my show. I know when I, I did Miss Betty's broadcast, I asked you, and it took some time, but tonight I believe this is your time and this is your season. Amen? Amen. Okay, so let me go over a few uh, particulars with you. If there's something that I asked you that's uh, – Something that you don't want to discuss, just say, uh, Chaplain, I would uh, want to discuss that at a, on another broadcast or another show, just so that I'll know, you know, not to go into those areas. Um, we do want to keep uh, and conceal the names and identities of any persons that have harmed you or brought injury into your life. And third, I do have to have your permission to release this 
broadcast on social media. With your permission tonight, it goes in as a recording and is recorded under the license of this radio uh, station, and um, it gives me permission to release it so that other people can hear your testimony and uh, can also be set free. So tonight, do I have your permission to do that? You do, do, Chaplain. You do have my permission. Okay. So tonight, Sean, um, let's let's go through um, your life in stages. Is that is that okay? I kind of want to go through a couple of things. Mm-hmm. I may you may have to uh, just add some things in there. I'm sure you will. But um, mm-hmm. I, I read your testimony and I heard you talk to me about it um, a lot. And um, as we've been talking. I'm always amazed at the, the, the amazing grace that God shows us, the way that he, his loving kindness is so, is so available to us. And so as I listened to your testimony, I was um, really humbled in heart, but I was also grateful that the Lord would allow our paths to cross because you are such an example of kindness. I, I, every time I've, I've talked with you, you've been just so, you have such the character of Christ. You're very humble, and with everything that you've been through, um, the love that you walk in and the humility that you walk in, and you, you really are a very graceful uh, lady. I, I read the uh, part where you were living on the streets. I'm sure that was very difficult, but I just wanted to give you those words of encouragement before we get started because no matter what the enemy has brought you through, God has made your life over. That is a living testimony. Yes, Lord. So tonight, let's go through the corridors um, of your life, and um, let's just kind of get started. Tonight's broadcast does go, it's geared towards women, but there are men on the line. And so, you know, what we talk about will be for adult ears for sure. Um, I also want to thank your husband for the prayer and scripture. Um, I want to start with um, the I want to start with the sexual abuse because you said that the sexual abuse started as a childhood. Can you take me to before the abuse, what your life was like, and then take me to the abuse? Can you do that? Sure, sure. Okay. First of all, first of all, I just want to just give God thanks for just allowing me to um, to share my story and and just be a blessing to those who has who has went through or going through the same thing I have and know that um, the Lord Jesus Christ will bring them through. Amen, amen, okay. amen. At a very young age, um, as I can remember, at the age of five, I was touched by family members um, between the legs and, um, well, I didn't have any breath, and then I was made to hold on to them at a very young age. And um, I thought it was okay. This happened from the age of like five years old up until like 10, up until 10. Um, and this was with a family member. And like I said, I thought it was okay. I just seen different um, different sexual acts at a very young age that went on in the home, in the home that I was living in. And um and at my family's different family members' houses and, and stuff like that. So, like I said, I thought it was okay until it began to disturb me at a later age. Mm-hmm. At a later so, age. So, go back to what you just said. So, you said you it started at the age of five. Yes, but ma'am. you said you had already seen sexual acts 
you're you're a child and you're exposed to sexual acts between adults, or are you saying that was between what happened with you? Explain that part, please. Okay. I was exposed to sexual acts between adults because I've seen it going on with adults at the age of about five years old. And as I mentioned before, at the age of five, I um, was being touched by family members, and I was told to touch my family members as well. Okay. okay. So all this was going on around the age of five years of um, five years old, and from age of five up until about ten, ten or eleven years of age, I thought it was normal. I just thought it was okay. Mhm. Mhm. So I thought so, it was okay to be touched and to be felt upon and and uh, just fumbled and just different stuff like that. Okay, so let me ask you this. In your home, was there someone there that was supposed to be watching over you? Did your mother work? Did you, were your parents uh, at church? Or how, did, how did you become exposed to sex, intimacy, intercourse between adults at the age of five? Because normally a child at the age of five is playing, running, coloring, playing paper dolls or coloring books and right. skipping. How, was there someone that didn't watch you? Were you unattended to? Were you, you know, how did how did that happen? I want to keep. I well, want to. I was, okay, well, I was watched uh, by family members, and the family members that were watching me was the ones doing it. However, both of my families, um, I come from a very dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. Both of my families were, um, both of my parents were alcoholics. They drank all the time. Okay. However, my father, he did work. He was a mechanic, so he worked like different hours and come in from nights. I remember him coming in drunk. Some nights I remember um, him and my mom fighting all the time and carrying on, and mm-hmm. uh, the sexual acts between adults were um, were family members that I watched. I was okay. looking at. Although when I was little, I was playing with baby dolls and uh, playing house and and as growing up, you know, they wanted to play like, okay, let's play mom and daddy. Mm-hmm. As for um, as um, little kids, you know, you want to play mom and daddy or doctor and nurse and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And that's how these sexual acts begin to um, surface in my life. Okay, okay. So at the age of 5 to 10 is the span of time with, uh, with the, with the uh, sexual acts and with the abuse. Um, as a child, the the first time that something like that happened, you said that you thought that it was okay because it was kind of kind of the norm. But were you were you were you at five? A child doesn't really um, a child at that age is not really able to define information sent to their brain. They really have information that's on a child's level at the age of five. So at the mm-hmm. age of five, when your when your parents returned or you know, when you were at a, a safe place, were you ever at a safe place and or did you feel that you needed to tell someone even though you felt that it was okay? I, um, at the age of five, like you said, you you really don't, the sexual acts and um, I didn't have full intercourse. It was just the fumbling and the feeling on and the touching different private parts at mm-hmm. the age at that age. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as telling anybody, as like I said, I thought it was okay. 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 I, thought it, I really thought it was okay. So it's, did it stop at the age of 10? Did it go past 10? Or is that when it stopped? And how did it stop? 
Well, the family members, uh, one family member moved out of the house. He left. Okay. One family member moved, and the other one was there. And we just, you know, just played around with one another. It didn't stop at the age of 10, but the most, for the most part of it, for the most part of it, the the majority of the, you know, the film and the family, it did, however, stop. Okay. And okay. then um, while I got, like, when I was 13, I actually experienced sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. Now, is this well, a part of your abuse, or was this just no, what no, this, this was school stuff. Okay. And um, was that a choice that you made, or was that a choice made for you? Well, that was a choice that I made um, mm-hmm. as, when, as you're growing up in school, and you hear, like, the little girls and the little boys, um, they take you around the corner and want to kiss and, you know, just have a little fun with you and, they call it hunching back then when I was mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. And at the age of 13 and a half, almost 14, I um, I engaged in sexual um, intercourse. So, okay, so now you're 13 and 14. You're coming up to the age uh, where a young lady should be, um, you know, she's in her formidable years, and she's, of course, we can see that you weren't protected. We can see that you uh, weren't actually safe in your own home, but now you're 13 and 14, so you're older. You're not thinking as a young uh, child, thinking that it's okay, and then you begin to have um, experiences with sex there. Do Would you say that the abuse followed you into your uh, first, um, would it be a part of the reason why you uh, experienced it so young, or is it just because of curiosity? Because when children are molested, whether they're touched or penetrated or whatever they're done, anything that's a violation, anything that's a violation is a sexual abuse. And it, what it does is it alters the way that you look at the value of who you are. So at 13, having sex is very, very young, but did it, did it, um, what did it do to your self-esteem? Did it, did, it, I know, did it bring your self-esteem down, or did you have a self-esteem at that time? Um, take us to there, and then we'll move to another question. Okay. At, the, at that time, um, at that time, as me coming up, coming through the family, you know, I was around um, children that had mm-hmm. more than I had, and I wanted to be uh, popular, so I, I wanted to do what they did to fit in. Okay. As, uh, if they had, my friend had sex, okay, well, I got to try this, too. I want to have sex, too. I want to do, I want to do what the other children were doing at the time. Okay. As far as um, did the abuse follow me, I believe it did. I believe okay. it did because I wanted to go a little further. Like you said, at the age of five, wow, but it happened. And I wanted to go a little further to see exactly what was this thing about. Mm-hmm. I used to see little magazines hanging around and um, going to the bathroom. You see the Pinboy magazines and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that that was in the home. I was like, okay, well, what is this? What is this? What is this? And so I actually wanted to, at the age of 13, when I finally did have sexual intercourse, I was like, okay, well, this is what it is. Okay, okay, okay. So, okay, so now you're 13 years old. You've been mm-hmm. already from five to about ten. You've had, um, you've been, you've been exposed, overexposed, 
and then you're um, now you're a teenager in what is 13, like now it's like junior high school, and you're becoming aware of you're a young lady, you're growing up, you're curious. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that the, um, the uh, opening of your uh, knowledge of sex was open so brutal that it caused a spirit of curiosity to, to attach itself to you. And mm-hmm. so um, from 13, take us from 13, 14, and 15 years old in your life. What happened then? 13, 14, 15, 13. Actually, like I said, I first had said, uh, sexual intercourse with a little mm-hmm. boy. I thought I was calling my boyfriend and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which <laughs> he had three other girls on the side besides me. And I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is a trip. So okay. at 14, I was very athletic in school. Um, I ran track. By this time, as far as being like I wanted to be the leader of the group crowd or whatever, I was the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, people followed me. I, I was um, very athletic, like I mentioned. Um, ran track from the age of, what, 13 all the way up until I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And through those years, through those years, I just stay maintained, you know, when one boy, I quit one boy, he'll break up with me, then I'll go with the next one. And mm-hmm. I was just, uh, 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 um, I during that time, Chaplain Grantley, during that, chi- during that time, okay, I thought that, okay, if I give this boy my body, he would like me even more. I didn't know what love was now. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. he would like me even more. So this would have come along and say, okay, well, hey, you look very nice. You know, you're, you're cute. You're fine. I like the way you look. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I'm going to leave this other guy alone. And in the meantime, I'll go with this guy and i have sex with him. So I was just all around. Mm-hmm. I was okay. what you call easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty much. I was pretty much what you call easy, and then I always went back to the same one that had the three women on the side, and okay. this happened pretty much throughout my um, high school. Okay, okay. And, and what? Okay, at what age did you did you ever talk to your mother about any of this? Did you ever speak to her at any point as a as a young lady before you go into seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty? Did you ever? Go to her and say, you know, these are the things that happen. This is where I'm having problems. Were you ever able to do that, or did you put it somewhere inside of you and just kept living? I kept living. I, I didn't tell my mother what went on. Okay. After I didn't tell anybody. Um, actually, what went on till I was in my thirties. Okay. 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 So now you're um, you're about what seventeen, eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. Tell tell me. Um, how did you uh, start with the drugs? Let's talk about that. Well, first of all, I uh, I started drinking mm-hmm. when I when I was fourteen. You know, I experienced my first joint, uh, getting drunk, going to school. Like I said, you know, whatever the other kids did, I wanted to do because I wanted to fit in. I wanted right, to fit right. in. Mm-hmm. And so this went on. So right at the like the age of seventeen, I graduated at the age of seventeen. And um, even though I was very athletic, I ran track. I um, was going to the skating ring. When I leave the skating ring, I would go to, go out and party. I would buy my own beer. And back then, um, before they changed the age to twenty one, 
right when I got 18, that's when they changed the law to 21. But in the neighborhood I was staying in, you were able to buy beer. So my parents, they'll be drinking. And I'm in the, I got me some in my cup and I'm drinking. Or I would um tap it to their little um to their bottle of liquor. My mom, she used to hide her bottle of liquor and I I would tap into that. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, drink a little bit and next thing you know, we all laughing and talking in the house being married. And they never knew what was going on until one time my little um at the age of excuse me, at the age of seventeen, my niece told my father, say, Hey, granddaddy, start drinking beer you know, because I was drinking and driving with her. And so that's how he found out that I was drinking. But I started drinking off and on, off and on, like at the age of 16, 17, mm-hmm. and it really got bad. I went off to college um, with the Bethune-Cookman in 1985. After I graduated high school, I went to Bethune-Cookman, and I just flat out partied. Okay. I partied. So when you say you party, take take us to one of your parties and explain to us. Give us an uh, uh, just give us a view into your parties or what you know whatever uh, everybody partied. All of us did, but I, just so for the sake of um, people that are listening and women that we're 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 reaching and people that we're reaching, it, mm-hmm. take us to one of your parties and tell us what would happen at a party or something like that. Okay, let's back up. Let's back up to right before my before my brothers got killed and how mm-hmm. I was partying before I went off to college. We can back up there. Okay. Um, right after I graduated, before I went off to college, right before my brothers got killed, both my brothers got killed in 1985 at the same time in a car accident. However, right before then, you know, we would, um, after we get out of school, like on a Saturday night, we were young, 17 years old, and I'd go to this club called Boardman, Florida. It was called Boardman. And I would just drink. We'd get quarts of beer. I'm drinking and driving. I would start off with like a six-pack of bull, slits my liquor bull. Then I would smoke a cigarette. And, you know, just, just wanted to be the grown, just playing the grown-up role, thinking I was grown, being alive. Being a, being a clown of the party, all loud and, and bodacious and everything. You know, I just want to be seen, you know, and um, mm-hmm. dancing all over the place and by myself, like, come on, you know, yippee, yippee, yay, stuff like that. That was mm-hmm. one, that was a party. However, when I got into college, when I got into college, um, we'll get together and go to this club called the P.I.s in Daytona Beach. And one of the drinks was Long Island iced teas. So I'll sit, we'll sit there and we'll drink all the Long Island iced teas, knowing that this is not right. I'm not, I'm not feeling this is not right now because I'm there to get an education. But all I did was party. Just every, and the club was open like every night, every single night. And then the cocaine started. Um, I was back now. I was getting with guys then in school, in college. And I was like, oh, well, you're nice looking, you know, and that's all I need to hear. That um, I was halfway attractive, and I'll say, okay, then, well, well, what you want to do? Let's go out tonight. And they'll start off with a few drinks or, or something like that, and then a couple of laughs, and then I'm in bed with them. Okay. okay. And I'm in bed with them. So that went on for like a year and a half. 
of um, two years that I stayed at Bethune Cookman. As a matter of fact, the second year I didn't even attend class. I was just there. Okay. I was just there. Okay. So okay, so you're in college and you're mm-hmm. you're in you're enjoying your life. You're you're um, partying. You're meeting new people, and you met. Uh, you've dated a couple of people. And so at this point, were you happy? Were you sad? What did you feel on the inside? Because the outside clearly is not what is not what's really going on with us emotionally it, and, and spiritually. What what was going on on the inside of you uh, was, at that time? Were you happy? Were you sad? What what kind of state of mind were you in? I was I was not happy at all. I was not happy at all because. Um, I was just out there. I had no emotions. I, I, I was just there. Okay. Um, I, 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 I felt love, but I, I can't explain it. I felt love by my parents, and then I didn't feel love. I was just, I was just emotionally drained. Mm-hmm. However, when I left college in 1987, this was when the breakup, um, the depression started. Okay. This was a break. I went. I left college and I went back to Ocala, Florida, where, I, where I'm from. And um, my dad was like, "Well, what are you going to do? So, I, are you going back to school?" He didn't even know that I, you know, I wasn't even attending school when I was even there. He didn't know that I was doing all this partying and and everything. And my mom, she kind of had an idea, but me and her started drinking together. Mm-hmm. But when I came back to Ocala, I started working. I got a job as a CNA, hands-on training, and that's when the drink. I, I, I just when I get off from work, my life consisted of this. I work from three to eleven. When I get off at three o'clock, I'm at eleven o'clock. From Monday through Thursday, I'm drinking two quarts of beer and smoking half pack of cigarettes. When I get off from work. From Thursday, I go to the highlight, and I'm gambling. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, when I get off from work, I'm at the club. Mm-hmm. I'm at the club. So my life consisted of that from 87 until 90. I met my son's father. And uh, my father died in 1990. I found him dead in the, um, I found him dead in the front yard. He had a heart attack. Okay. And that's when my life began to just go in shambles, just go in shambles. Okay. All so I you, wanted to do, huh? I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So you, you found your father dead in the front yard. How, when you say your life was in shambles, um, when his passing, um, were you, did you have a good relationship with your father, even though, you know, you said that both of them drank and, um, you weren't really protected in the home. Did you have a good relationship with your father or an okay relationship? What kind of relationship did you have with your father? It would be traumatic for anyone to find their parent dead, regardless of how they feel about them. But I kind of want to hear, you know, your relationship with your father. With my father, it was okay. I had an okay relationship. My father was very, very strict. He was like, uh, nothing was never good enough for me. Um with my father, um, he beat us. We used to get beat. Um, 
So, like, if we do something wrong, he'll beat us. We got beat with all kind of stuff. He's sent you cords. Um, so he got to the point where he beat us with his fist. Not beginning, I was that some hate started settling in. Uh, but I didn't actually hate him. I didn't. I was beginning to hate him, but he stopped hitting me. And um, I, my relationship with him, I believe, it was just, it was okay. It was okay. I, I felt like Chaplin that we he didn't give me my parents didn't give me the love that a child should have the nurture, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the love, the the um, I love you or, or, or something. I didn't have that growing up, but I knew they loved me. A form mm-hmm. of love, I could say that a form of love. I knew that. I knew that, but um, as far as Wow, my father, um, I left, right after I left college, right after I left college, and I said, I mentioned I met my son's father, I started working. I got with my son's father, and um, he was good looking, you know, and uh, he had his own house and stuff like that, and I was like, okay. And uh, me and him, we, we got together. So... I just started staying out with him and all night, staying at his house. And I, I stayed with him for security because I didn't want to hear my father's mouth. Well, you're not supposed to be doing this and doing that and stuff like that. So I didn't want to hear that, so I stayed, I stayed with him. And the day that my father died, um, people was looking for me, say, Sean, you better get home, go home. Your dad looking for you. I'm like, I'm not going home. I ain't going home listening to this and that. So, however, I believe my father knew he was going to die because a couple of months before he died, he told me, he said, well, Sean, I ain't got much longer. You better get yourself together. And he even took out an insurance policy on me because he knew I was running wild. Okay. He knew I was running wild. But um, the day that he died, I seen him driving his car, and I finally called a friend of mine, and I went home. I went home, and when I walked through the door, he said, Sean, he said, you might hate me, but always love your mother. And I said, Dad, I don't hate you. I said, give me the car keys. This is the last thing I said to my father. I said, give me the car keys so I go pick up mama because my mom was at me. And when I got home, when I got home picking from picking up my mother, my father was laid out in the yard, and, he, and um, by the time he got to the hospital, they pronounced him dead. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I'm so that, to that. that took a lot out of me. Um, of I'm course, sure. of course, my mom, through that, during that time, she blamed me for the death of my father because she said that I was hard-headed. Um, I just worried him to death, in other words. And so that took a toll out of me. Um, when she said that I worried him to death, he died, and and, and and stuff like that, not knowing that we all have an appointed time to go, and it was his time. And like right. I said, I believe he knew that he was going to die because he told me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And after so much of my mom um, drinking and abusing me, calling me all kinds of nasty names, you no good this, you no good that, you killed my husband, why did you kill my husband? So I told her, I said, well, I tell you what, you don't have to worry about it, me anymore. I'll be right back. So I went out and I bought me a fifth of liquor, a Canadian club at this time. I was 21. And um, 
I just went and took a whole bunch of her pills. So you tried to commit suicide? Yes, I did. Okay. I tried to take my own life. Okay. At that time, and she told me, she said, the only thing I remember was a police officer saying, what did you take? What did you take? And when I woke up, I um I was in the hospital, and they had me on four-point restraint. Okay, okay. They had me four-point restraint. And how did your mother um, react to you after your attempted suicide? Wow. My mom told me, she said, you D-fool. She cursed me. Oh, why you want to take your life and this and that? I said, well, I feel like you don't love me. And um, I felt like she didn't love me because she said I took her husband. Okay. So um, after that, uh, after she cursed me again, I just moved in with my son's father at the time. Mm-hmm. I was, um, at, the, at the time, I hadn't had my son, but eventually I got pregnant with my son. Okay. Eventually, I got pregnant my son, with my son, and my mother and I, we began to have a um, a relationship. Okay. Because she had, she knew she was um, having a grandchild. Okay. She knew she was having a grandchild, so she had her place, and I had mine, and um, more than I wasn't in the home with her anymore, um, that gave her a sense of um, stability because she knows I'm not there um, drinking or or. or it's staying out all times of night, going back and forth in and out of her house three or four o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. that's some of the stuff I used to do. Okay. So now, is your mother still alive? No, ma'am. My mother died in two thousand um, and four, Christmas Eve, two thousand and four, and I was in prison. Now, when were you able to heal, get some sort of healing in your relationship with her before she died, or? Yes, I did. Yeah, yes, I did. Yes, I did. In the in the midst of everything, Chaplain, um, being going in and out of jail for possession charges, and she was right there bailing me out. Um, in the midst of um, wanting to kill myself again, she was there. I tried to commit suicide twice. Okay. Uh, she was there. So, yes, ma'am, we did develop a relationship. Um, okay. Okay. Okay, so tell me about, um, you said you'd been to prison, and how long were you there, and what was your experience like there? Wow, prison. I, prison life. I was arrested, I think, 20-something times. And the last time I was arrested was in 2000 and, um, 2002, 2004, 2004, three, in 2003, I had a dealing with stolen property charge and they, um, dealing with stolen property and grand theft or something like that. Well, I knew I, I just I just had to do something. I just had to do something. So I cried out. And I said, Lord, will you save me off these streets? I, I just can't take it no more. Will you save me off the streets? And, and during this time, um, during this time, I had lost both of my kids on the DCF. DCF wanted to take my mother at the time because I was really wild and off of drugs and alcohol then. Okay. And um. 
when I got sentenced to prison, wow, I can't even describe that. <laughs> when I got sentenced to prison, Chapman Grande, I was thankful that I wasn't on the streets. Okay. And by the time I came to my senses when I was in prison, my mom had felt really, really sick. Okay. My mom had felt really, really sick. Okay. I was sentenced to 24 months in prison. I served 16 of those 24 months. Okay. Okay. Being in prison. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Being in prison was a, a life experience. I knew that I um I had my mind made it up that I wasn't going back there. Okay. Any means necessary. While in prison, I learned how to become a woman. Okay. It was things that I didn't know as growing up as. I learned, even I was in my 30s, I knew how to become a woman. Okay. I didn't know how to be a woman until I got to prison. Okay. So talk to us about the uh, the level of your depression. How did your depression, I'm, I'm sure it started uh, early, but I'm sure it intensified as your life went on. Talk, talk to did. us about that. My depression started, um, I believe, as a teenager because, like I said, I always wanted to feel wanted. I always mm -hmm. wanted to be a part of. And that is a sign of uh, of a depression because you, okay. you feel like you're not loved. You, you feel like you're not liked. Um, you feel like you're not loved or liked. You just want to be a part of. You're doing anything you can to please this person to feel a part of that that crowd. Okay. Um, the level of depression that got to the point, like I said, after my father died and I killed myself, and I was thinking about uh, all the men I was with at that time coming up, growing up, and what had happened to me as a child. As I grew older, I knew that was not okay. That's when I found out what incest was and what molestation was, that that wasn't okay. And I was like, well, why did they do that to me? Why did they do that to me, God? You know, so I'm questioning God now. At the, uh, the, the, the depression got really, really deep after my father died because I was like, Man, I don't have anybody. I don't have nothing. I just don't have nothing. I never was in a stable home. I never, I, I, I never could. Um, when I got lost one job, I always went and got another one. I, I, I uh, we always moving back and forth. I always had to wear hand-me-down clothes uh, until I bought my own, and and just people. I, I just didn't want to live no more, okay. and it got real serious. Um, until when I got to the when I went to the doctor after I killed myself, they told me um I was mad at depressive. Okay. I was mad at depressive because I would get somewhere and I would just burst out. At this time, it was, I had a lot of anger. I would cut somebody out for no reason. Okay. okay. I wanted to fight. I just wanted to fight somebody. Okay, so, so you, you're like lashing out. At this point, your resentment is becoming stronger and you're, you're, you're reacting now because the reality of what's happened to you is becoming clearer. Mm -hmm. Am I right so far? Okay. You're right, so, you're right. 
Okay, so so you were edgy at all times because of what has happened to you, and then now, so you're in a state of depression. You've attempted suicide twice. Uh, your father has passed away. You come past sexual abuse, but the effects of the uh, the after effects of the of the abuse um, really has plagued you. And can you talk to us about your um, alternate? relationship that you spoke to me about, your alternate relationship that you decided to go into, and can you tell us why? The, uh, the ultimate relationship with who, my son's father? No. Didn't you tell me that you were in a relationship with a lady? Oh, 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 yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right. Okay. Well, during this time, um, during this time when I, when I was in a relationship, I wanted to experience some women. Mm-hmm. I want to experience women. Okay. And as to when I was younger, when I was younger, the family member wanted me to touch the girl. And this is something that, and she touched me. And this was something that uh, I was like, okay. As I grew older, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try that again. So my son's father, he was very abusive to me. Um, He'll beat me for no reason, and I didn't hit him back. And back then, I thought that was a form of love because I saw my father beating my mother all the time. So I thought that was like a form of love, you know, getting beat up, and then they'll tell you they love you and stuff. I was like, okay with that. So um, he ended up going to jail. He ended up going to jail, and the ball and chain came off then. I was in the drugs real heavy. I was at his house. I turned his house into a crack house. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going to experience women. So okay. it was um, a young lady. She was uh, my next-door neighbor when she stayed across from me at the time. And I asked her, did she want to indulge? And we were getting high. And she was like, Sean, I'm telling you, you don't want to do this. I was like, well, why not? Let's go for it, you know. There ain't nothing but to it but to do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, I regret doing that this day. Okay. She, this lady, she beat me more than he did. She so was you got huh? Okay, so you were in a relationship with your your son's father, and he was very uh-huh. abusive. And at the time, uh-huh. you're thinking that him beating you is normal because, for one, you didn't fight him back, and I believe that that's because you didn't know how to protect yourself. Right. Two, your self-esteem probably was at a just at a place of uh, it just there's no it's indescribable because at some point you know that you're worth more than a man beating on you and and the other one is that you didn't you hadn't you didn't know love you had never really experienced affection compassion from what I'm hearing from you. So you go from a man beating you, and then mm-hmm. you, you have go back to. Let me ask you one question. Go back to um, yep. when you when you said that you you first started uh, the first time you experienced uh, 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 an introduction to him. And what age were you? That's all I wanted to know. I was like what ten during that time, about ten, nine or ten. Mm-hmm. So at 10 years old, you were attracted to women, or to girls, rather. I wasn't attracted to them. Like I said, the family member was like, well, touch her, and then she touched me. And I was like, when I got older, when I got older, I wanted to try it again. I can't say that I was attracted 
to it. I just did it because I was told to do it. Well, maybe you were just curious and confused at the same time? That's what it sounds like, yes, ma'am. I believe that's what it is. I was curious and confused at the same time. Okay, okay. So now you've gone from your... Your uh, your your child's father, who was very abusive to you, he's gone to prison or to jail. No, he went to jail. He, went to, he jail. went to jail. You stayed in his house. You turn who turned the house into a crack house? Was I you? Or what? Okay, so you did. so were you selling or was that just a, it? Was it a sling house? What was it? That was you just know. a it was a it was a it was a flop house. Okay. When it, you know, it was just a flop house when somebody wanted to come and smoke, and that's okay. when they came and smoked. Okay. And I, now, I'm sorry. So now, where was your son in all of this? Had you still, you still hadn't regained custody of your son? I hadn't lost custody at the time. My son was okay, still with lost. me. Okay. My son, my, my son was still with me during that time. He was very mm-hmm. young. He was like, what, two years old? And I had people, okay. um, I would hire somebody to babysit him while I got high. Okay, so... So if 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 you were exposed to a dysfunctional family, you didn't see anything wrong with him being exposed to it either. Am I correct or wrong? Not at that time. No, I did not see anything wrong with it. Okay. So okay. So now we're uh, now your your baby's father is um, gone to jail. You have okay. control of the house. You guys are in there uh, smoking and getting high, and you're at this point enjoying your freedom from his abusive ways. What uh, then, of course, you said that you um, was uh, you were interested in or you, you asked the lady to engage in uh, uh, intimacy with you, and then you said that she became as violent to you as the, your male boyfriend. So explain that to us. Was it that you was she beating on you, or was she just verbally abusive? And how did you see it as um, did you see it as as when he was beating on you, you didn't see anything wrong with it? Help explain that to me. Well, well, the abuse. Okay, um, I knew that he was abusive. And I knew some was very, I, I didn't, at the time when he was abusive and beating on me, like I said, I thought it was a form of love. I thought that was a form of love because I watched my father beat my mother up a lot. And they, they would make up and kiss and make up, so I watched that. So I thought, okay, well, this was normal. This was love. Until I got to, I got, I got to thinking, I was like, uh-uh. I'm, I'm more than that. I said, I'm more than that. Then, so when he went to jail, and I was very, very happy that he did go to jail because he had a very tight leash on me. If I look at somebody, he'll hit me. And, I was like, and like I said, I was with him for security. Okay. Um, when I got with the young lady, and after we indulged in, in everything, um, she began to tell me that I couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Uh, then she started hitting on me beating me, she pulled a gun on me, cut me in the face. I have a mark on my face to this day from her. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is not right. Now, Boy, how long were you in that relationship? A couple of months. A couple of months. Okay, so that didn't last long. Uh, okay. Okay. Okay, so now at this point, you, you're, did, how did you break free from her? Did you 
Did she try to bother you after? You know, some people won't let you go. Or did when you decided that the relationship was over, she left you alone, you left her alone, or did she continue to abuse you? How did the relationship what end? Happened, what happened, I found out that my uh, the father was getting out of jail, so I left the house. I just I just grabbed some of my stuff and my son's stuff, and we moved to into a motel room. Okay. However, she went to jail. She she ended up in jail. He got out, and I left him alone. And uh, she went to jail, and we just parted after that and became friends. You know, we just we talked, okay. and then. As we, um, you know, as a couple of years passed by, we talked about what happened, and and we came to an understanding of how she was, and and that just wasn't that just wasn't good in my book. I, I couldn't tolerate that. So okay. after that, um, I didn't have any more encounter um, as far as a relationship with women. Okay. Okay. So now take us to. Um you're living on the streets. What was your life like living on the streets? My life living on the street was um, it was awful. At this time, at this time, I um, I had engaged with after my, my son's father. I moved to Tampa, and um, me and my son's father we went our separate ways. We went our separate ways. I moved to Tampa. And um, I had a pretty good life there. I mean, well, I thought it was pretty good. I was drinking. I was smoking. I held down a job. I was taking care of Tyrell, my son, at the time. And, uh, you know, just thought things was just okay. So I met up with my daughter's father at the time. And me and him, we, we got along okay. But our relationship was based on drugs and alcohol, crack and alcohol, maintaining, we just maintaining. When we get out on Fridays, we're partying. Saturday night, Sunday, we're broke, but we made sure we had food in the house. I lost my apartment in 19, um, in 2000. I lost one of my, my apartment due to the fact I had, um, due to the fact that I had a felony. I had felony. So I moved into like a rooming house, took my son with me. Then at this time, drugs became everything. Okay. Became everything. I neglected. Um, I neglected my son. However, during this time when I neglected him, we was living in a motel, and um, somebody called DCF, and he was taken. Okay. He was taken, and they took him. Um, took him back to Ocala, and he was with my mom. This was before my mom died. He was with my mom and his paternal grandmother, his father's mother. He was in between homes. And uh, uh, his paternal grandmother ended up finished raising him, and he graduated, and and he really had a good life. So I'm really thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Um, After that, after after my son was taken, um, we were living from, like, motel to motel, when we didn't have the money to pay for the room, we had to leave sleep on the street. But when it got really bad for me, once when I had my daughter, I had my daughter in um, 2002. I had my daughter in 2002. And it just really got bad. It, 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 all I wanted to do was just get high, just get high. And um, at the time, I believed that the father really wanted more than just to get high. He really wanted to raise his daughter. 
and 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 but he was he just couldn't stop getting high itself. However, he left me in you know, Tampa. He grabbed my daughter and left me in Tampa in a motel room. During this time, I had nothing. I had nothing. He went to Ocala, and I was just going to, like, this friend's house, this friend's house. I'd sit up there, and I'd smoke off of them, and somebody else come along. They'd be like, well, Sean, you got to leave. And so I would leave and walk up and down the street until somebody picked me up, and um, i have a date, and i get some money. i go back to the same person's house. I'm like, okay, can I sit here? I have money now. And that went on every single day for, like, three months. Okay. And I went, uh, this was during the year of 2003, 2002, 2003. My daughter wasn't, she was just turned one. So I, I moved back to Ocala. Um, a, a guy, he said, listen, you don't deserve to be out here on the streets like this. I'm going to take you back to Ocala free of charge. He said, get your stuff. And he took me to Ocala and put my stuff right in front of my mama's house, my mother's house. And he left. Next thing you know, I never seen. I never seen that guy again. I never uh-huh. seen him anymore. So he took me to Ocala, free of charge. When I got to Ocala, when I got to Ocala, I met up with my daughter's father again. He had me. He had he got him a job. Got a three bedroom house. He got a three bedroom house, and um, he said, "Well, Sean, you know, I was going to come and get you. We was going to make a life together and everything." Well, needless to say, I moved in with him. I moved in the house, within the home with him and my daughter, and had my son and my mom. While those were moving in the house together, however, I wasn't supposed to be around my children okay. I was because um, because of DCF, and I didn't complete the case plan. Case plan. I couldn't ever complete a drug test. I couldn't. I never completed a parenting class of nothing. So at this time, um, we had to go to court for the children, and he ended up getting arrested for a bad check. And DCF came to the house, and I wasn't supposed to be there. And I ran out the room and said, well, what happened? And it was the DCF worker. She said, I'm sick of you, Sean. I'm taking these kids right now, and I'm taking your mama too. Oh, okay. So DCF came and they took my children. Needless to say, we were both, we both just gave up. Every penny we had, we smoked it up. We started selling appliances out of the home and everything, and that's how I ended up in prison, selling the stove and the refrigerator out of the home. Okay. So what was the time What's the time span that you lived on the streets? You were absolutely absolutely homeless living on the streets because in your bio it says you had nothing but the clothes on your back. What was the time span there? The time span, getting to the part where I only had the clothes on my back, um, it was after I got out of prison. After I got out of prison, I had, um, I was in work release, and when I got out of prison, I had a $3,000 check. And I had made plans to get an apartment, get my kids back, and everything. And, well, needless to say, I, I, when I got out of prison, I got to Ocala, I took a hit. 
I went about a dying rock, and all that went out the window. So the time span was I got a motel room from May. I got out in May. Uh, the second week in May, I got kicked out of the motel room. So from May until July, from May until July, I was on the streets. I was just living here to there, here to there, until I got arrested. Um, in July, I got arrested for a stem. I had a, um, a paraphernalia. I had a pipe on me. And the judge said, I'm going to save your life. You know, what am I going to have to do to you, Sean, to put you in a pine box? And so, um, I mean, what do I have to do to you? You're going to end I'm going to read about you in the newspaper. And when the judge told me that chaplain, that kind of stuck, that kind of just, just stuck something in me. I mean, I, that just kind of just did something to me. I was like, Lord, have mercy. I started crying. And he gave me 180 days. When mm-hmm. I got out of jail in January, I believe it was in January, I got out. During this time, my son's father, I mean, my daughter's father, he went on about his business. He moved to Georgia. I had nowhere to go. Um, my mom, she was living with my cousin. I couldn't stay there. Um, I, so I just walked around. I was just living like here and there. Um, I had no clothes. I wore the same jeans over and over. And one time it got so bad that I just had on um, tennis shoes with no strings in them, just walking around until my son's aunt came along and said, Sean, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That boy was sitting at home crying and crying for his mama, and you won't even come and see him. I said, well, Mary, look how I'm looking. I called her name. I said, look how I'm looking. Um, I can't see him. She said, Sean, it doesn't matter how you're looking. Just come and see him. And that mm-hmm. afternoon, I went to see him, and we cried. And he said, Mama, I'm praying for you. Um, I just wish you'd get yourself together. I'm going to be all right. This is not you, Mama. And I cried, and I said, Lord, I can't take it no more. I can't take it no more. So my cousin, I said, uh, my cousin, I went to him that night, and I said, I, I, his name is Trouble. We call him Trouble. I can't take it no more. I got to do something. So I heard the voice of the Lord say, get to Tampa. Get to Tampa, and I'll take it from there. Chaplain Granley, I my son gave me a pair of jeans. I, I didn't even have any panties. He gave me a pair of his boxer shorts. Mm-hmm. I had on a bra that it was white, and then it was and brown. It was brown. It was so dirty. And even when I washed it, it was still brown. Mm-hmm. I wore the same bra, and I just, and just didn't have any panties. He gave me some boxers and a pair of shoes and a backpack. Mm-hmm. And my, my cousin, my cousin said, you got to get up out of here. You got to leave here, Sean. And that's been nine years ago. I went to Tampa. And so is that when you, did you go to Tampa to Deeper Life Ministry? or I went to Tampa. I went to Tampa at night. My cousin put me on the bus, and I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. Say, get to Tampa, Florida. And I will take it from there. Okay. Okay. Get to Tampa, Florida. Get to the church. And I'm so thankful. Amen. I am so thankful. 
So let's do this. I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to unmute some of the people in the chat room. And um, right before you start taking questions, I want you to tell us right before you end um, how you met your husband and, and um, um, just, you know, you know, God gave you a husband, a wonderful husband. I mean, he loves you unconditionally. Yes, and, he does. Um, I want you to just share, share a little bit of that, and then I'm going to unmute the line. You have taken us through the most private parts of your life. I cannot say thank you enough. Though the people on the line may never have experienced it, all of us had an element of sin in our lives, that we've all cried the same tears of gratitude that you're crying tonight. And I am so, I'm so humbled just to hear how much you fought to be loved, fought to be identified, fought to be uh, restored, and fought to have your life, your self-esteem um, restored, oh. your inner healing, and, and, and you're, you're there. That's where you are, and only God could do that. Only a loving, saving God could do that for you. Amen. And, and Chaplain, um, I just want to add this. When, um, when I walked through the doors, of Deeper Life Church in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I went to church, and when Bishop, Bishop Jefferson, mm-hmm. also, that's my dad, you know, that's my pops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my bishop, my spiritual father. Mm-hmm. I can't thank the God enough for him or Dr. Brenda. Amen. He called me out. He laid, he laid hands on me. And I was set free. I, I, I can't, I can't describe what lifted off of me. I okay. can't describe what the lifted off my shoulders and in my heart when that man touched me. He, oh wow! Mm-hmm. I was, I haven't had a hit. I haven't smoked a cigarette. I haven't taken a drink. Oh I, I, I felt forgiveness in my heart from from the past, and 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 and, and, and just they just love me. My my spiritual mother, uh, Dr. Brenda Jefferson, she she's labored with me. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, even when I didn't love myself, she loved me. Amen. Amen. She called, uh, I call out to call at any given time and say, well, Mama, I say, Mama, I'm tripping. But, but well, daughter, baby, it's going to be all right. What are you going through? And when it comes down to uh, we get chest hot, she let us know what we are going wrong. He let us know what we are doing wrong and what thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. And take us to Scripture. Our ministry is based off of um, book, chapter, and verse. Mm-hmm. Book chapter and verse, and, we are, and the bishop raises up leaders. And I'm just, I just had to add. I'm just, I'm really, really thankful. I, I, I can't thank God enough. Mm-hmm. I hear that. I hear that from my spiritual parents. Amen. Amen. So let's do this while I'm unmuting the lines. I wanted to see if um, Elder Gilliard wanted to make a comment before I speak the lines, and then. Okay. Um, We'll take, uh, I'll take them as they are lined up, and if you have a comment or you want prayer or you just want to give uh, Sean words of encouragement or you just want to say uh, hello to her, I'm going to unmute you and call out right where I see you listed, 
And then if you don't want to say anything, that's okay. But I wanted to thank you for being with us tonight and um, uh, wanted to uh, give you opportunity to share as well. Okay, Uh Elvie Gilliard? Yes, hello. I I tell you, Minister Sean, I did not want to leave this line without speaking to you. I am so touched by your testimony, first of all. And I just want to say your courage tonight and what you were willing to share. So many need to hear truth come out of the belly, just like you shared tonight. And I'm telling you, because you've been through the struggle, the fight, the turmoil, and how the Lord has taken you, brought you out of hell, literally, and Mm -hmm. set your feet on a solid place, I'm telling you, you have a testimony that is beautiful. You have a testimony that the Lord has taken and made a beautiful woman out of. And I just want to say I bless God today for your courage, for your strength. And, you know, as I was listening, I'm just amazed. When you were, you were sharing when you were a young child, I'm just amazed at what goes on in silence. You uh-huh. know, young children experience without yeah. the balance of truth and love. Yes. You know, there's so much that's hidden underground, and what they have to bear is just tremendous. You mm-hmm. were dealing with big people issues, you know, big people uh, difficulties that you had to deal with as a child. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that you were even able to stand. So I just mm-hmm. want to thank God for you that you've come through that and just how the Lord has guided you through all of that. It was some dark times. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. as we're listening yes. on the line, it's some dark times. One of the things that I'm involved with in my own life is I minister to these young women, and I'm just amazed sometimes because their homes are so devoid of love. And Uh as it's shared, I began to just listen to the power of love and how God now has poured in so much love in your heart. You know, you were able to forgive and, and move beyond the turmoil and now have a testimony that is shining and one that you can see where God has taken you and elevated you and made you this woman now. And so the love just continues to pour through you and and through your words and through your testimony. And I just want to encourage you. You are a shining light, and what God has done for you is tremendous. Be able to come out of prison. So I just thank God for your life. And you know, Chaplain Gradney, as we're listening today, I just want to offer just a prayer for her Mm -hmm. and just thank God for her. Is that all right? Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Um, Minister Sean and, and, and Minister Daryl, I just want to thank God for both of you. And I just wanted to just pray this over your life. I have to leave off the phone, but I said I just, I just have to just release God's blessing over your life. Father, okay. I thank you tonight. Lord God, for what we have heard on this line. Father, yes. that Minister Sean was willing to reveal herself for our greater good. Father, you know the secret places, the things that we have in our own lives, God, that have challenged us growing up and things that we've hid and, and touches, God. We'll just yes. use that word, Father, to express, Father, our gratefulness for delivering us from touches. Things, yes. God, that have been so secret and deep, Father. We thank you, Father, for the many children, Father, and young ones, Father, who have had to deal with the silence. 
But, Lord, I thank you for their life tonight, Father, the graciousness, Lord, with which she was willing to minister and to reveal her life. Father, restore unto her blessings. We pray over their life together, Father. Thank you for making them this couple, a couple of examples, that no matter what we go through, God, you are greater, that your grace is greater, that your blessings are greater. And, Father, we thank you as we look at them as examples. Use them mightily, Lord. Let them touch so many lives, God. Let them touch so many young people. And, Lord, even older people to help them to be example, to love their children. And, God, to teach their children, to teach, Father, Lord God, how we must walk in truth. And, God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you would continue to elevate them, continue to strengthen them, and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, we bless you for their life. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank Thank you. Thank you. A wonderful couple. How the Lord has strengthened you and and being a light in your church and being a light in your community. Let me tell you, it touches many. It touches many. Thank you. I just thank you tonight. I know I have to leave the phone, but I said I just wanted to just give you that word of encouragement and just let you know your testimony is very powerful in God's name. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chaplain Granny, just for having this opportunity, I mean, to bring on such guests. And, And I'm telling you, God has such an anointing over your life and just a blessing that you're willing to find the treasures. These mm-hmm. are treasures. You're willing yes, to bring the treasures to us. And yes. so many that need to hear, oh, my God, that so mm-hmm. many that need to hear the words of truth that come and to show how the power of God can change your life is amazing. And I just thank you tonight for having me here. All right. Thank, well, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. And God, and God bless you. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. God bless you both. Bye-bye. 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 Okay. So we're down to 47 minutes, and um, I have Southwest Florida on the line. Um, do you want to say, have a comment or share your word of encouragement, or do you just want to say hello to my, my guest? How are you tonight? Okay. Hello. Hello. We can hear you. Hello, can you hear us? Okay, let's see. Hello, ma'am, can you hear us? I can't tell if we're making a connection. I'll I'll come down the line and go back. Okay. Okay, I have uh, just Florida on the line. How are you tonight? Thank you for tuning in. This is Chaplain Gradney calling to me radio. Did you want to have a word of encouragement with uh, my friend, uh, my guest, Sean, or just want to make yes, a comment? Yes, Chaplain. Hi, Chaplain. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, my God. This lady I interviewed and ended up with 1,000 listeners on her on her broadcast and still growing. So, hi, Sister Betty. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, too, my sister, Sean. I just got to say, I remember the last time Sean came to the Mary County Jail. She and I both was there together. And we both declared over our lives that God was going to deliver us. And we did. We would do Jericho walks in the Marion County Jail and see God's hand move in the lives of inmates. And I remember Sean got out, and she did exactly what she said that she was going to do. She left O'Kella, and God 
did miraculous things in her life. And I remember it still took me a few more years. <laughs> but I want to say that we will not be ashamed wow, of the gospel of Jesus Sorry. Christ. Amen. For oh. it is the power of God unto salvation. And mm-hmm. we know that God is a deliverer. And mm-hmm. I just want to thank God for my sister, Sean, because, Sean, your testimony, you had me sitting here in tears because it just was welling up in my spirit how mm-hmm. good our God is. Yes, Lord. And mm-hmm. God, there is nothing too hard for God. And the power of forgiveness, mm-hmm. the power of forgiveness and to move past what used to be and what had done happened to us in our lifetime, that ain't nobody but the power of God. And okay. he, he did that so that we could do what we do today unto him to glorify his name. Amen. And I just thank God for your testimony. And I got to tell you, um, your husband just touched me with that prayer. And, and Chaplin, I was like, oh, Lord, I hope I'm one of the first five callers because I sure want to say something. But I tell you, we <laughs> okay. serve an amazing God. And yes, I know that I have seen it with my own eyes, what God has done in both of our lives. And I thank God. I thank God for my sister. I tell you, that's my prayer warrior, buddy. And I, I tell you, God is just going to take you places, Sean. Yes, thank you. Um, God, God, God is going to take you places, and all we got to do is just keep following him and keep proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like. We know that God is able. Amen. Because now to him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless. He just done wiped our slate clean by the blood of Jesus. He took all our sins and threw them in the sea of forgiveness. You got me about to run around my house shouting. How can you not praise a God like that? And I know that God was, he was was holding you for such a time as this because somebody Mm -hmm. needed to hear your story. Don't, Don't turn my TV. And we cannot be ashamed of where God has brought us from. I thank you for the boldness that God has placed in your life and in you to be able to do that. Because it's not easy for us to get and and do these things. But we know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he will give us the power to carry out his will for our lives. And I just thank God for you. And I say, God bless you and your husband. And I pray. I pray many blessings over y'all, and 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 I can just see God taking you places that you would never even imagine. The Amen. best is yet to come in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, and God bless you. I think I better get out now. All right. I love y'all too, and Chaplin. I'm praying blessings over you, and thank God for you, woman of God, because Amen. what you are doing is opening doors for somebody else to know that God is able to bring them out of whatever they are going through. Amen. 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 God bless Amen. you. God bless you too. Bye bye. Uh, Chaplin, can I say something right quick? Yeah, let me let me give you the time where we are. We're at we're at seven minutes and closing down. So I thought we were going to be able to get to the other guests. I do apologize. 
uh, for that. Um, and if you could, um, you can take us out in prayer, however you feel your comment, and we're down to seven minutes and counting before they count us down. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say this. It was an honor. It was a pleasure um, oh. to be invited to give my testimony to all the women and men that's struggling with um, unforgiveness or, 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 or shame to tell somebody that you were touched or, or you're in a state of depression. Um, I'm here to let you know that God is able. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. And for those right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I, I just wanted to let you know who he is and invite you, or if you just need a refreshing in your spirit, or, or, or just feel like, okay, God's left me, so he'll never leave you or forsake you. I just want to say the sinner's prayer and then go into prayer, and we'll close out with that. Um, okay. For those that are sitting right in, in, in their seats, I pray this prayer. Just repeat after me. God, here I am. Here I am. Just asking you right now, Lord God. You said if thou shalt believe in thy heart that God raised them on the third day, your son, thou shalt be saved. So, Father, I actually enter into my life. I ask you to order my steps, Lord God, and you said I will be saved. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Order my steps, Father. Refresh my spirit, Lord God. Refresh me right now, Lord God. Cover me with your blood. Cover me, Lord, right now. Oh, Father God, right now, I come boldly before your throne with thanksgiving and praise in my heart, Lord God. And, Father, I just lift up my spiritual leaders unto you, Lord God, Bishop M.B. Jefferson and Dr. Brenda Jefferson. I thank you for those two. And, Father, right now, I ask you right now to just bless Chaplain Grantly, Lord God. I ask you to continue to bless our ministry, Lord God. May it multiply, Lord God, her radio station in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Father, as I come forth, I ask you right now to create in all of us a clean heart, every new and right spirit within us, O oh God. Father, yes, for that yes. we need you, Lord God. And, Father, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus, if somebody out there, Lord God, somebody out there that is bound with depression in the name of Jesus, somebody bound by, don't want to say nothing that it was molested, Lord God, somebody that's yes. bound by crack cocaine, Lord God, alcohol, Lord God. Father, I stand in the gap for them right now. And I yes, demand Lord. that you let me see from them in the mighty name of Jesus. You have yes, no authority Lord. over them. Your assignment is canceled in the yes, name of Lord. Jesus. I bind up the spirit of depression. I bind up the spirit of oppression right now. Every session in my magnificent name of your son, Jesus. And, Father, I come up against every unclean spirit, every foul spirit in the name of Jesus. I bind up the spirit of torment in the mind right now in the name of Jesus. And, Father, everybody knows this call. I actually loose your minister spiritual angels upon them right now. Give them the ear to hear, Lord God. Reconstruct our minds in the name of Jesus. Reconstruct our 
our hearts in the name of Jesus. And Father, reveal yourself in the God. We ask you for a supernatural revelation right now. In the name of Jesus. I thank you and I praise you, Lord God. I thank you and I praise you. I thank you and I praise you. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, I love you, Lord. And I thank you for allowing me to speak. I thank you, Father, for speaking through me, Lord God. May everybody be touched. May everybody know who you are tonight. You are Jesus Christ. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, amen. Uh, Minister Betty, Minister uh, Gilliard, all of the men and women of God that are on the line tonight. God bless you. Minister Sean, I can't thank you enough. Minister Darrell, I cannot thank you enough. Guest 13, I cannot say thank you enough for, t- yeah. for tuning in. Yeah. And um, this is calling calling to me. Radio broadcast. This is Chaplain Patricia Gradney, and I am closing out segment number 27 with uh, the testimony of Sean B. Livingston um, from Ocala, Florida, Deeper Life Ministry, how God took her life and turned it absolutely around. God bless you. Tune in again as we come back again and share our testimony in our life and the Word of God. God bless you, and good night. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.